So I wanted to uh, start tonight in Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, don't turn there. I'll just uh, refer to it. But it tells us in verse 1 that we are partakers of the heavenly calling. So that in the church, uh, if you think about that, we are people who share uh, something that's, well, pretty good. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty high. Uh, it's, a, uh, it, it's an amazing thing to partake in. Uh, so we can join together and participate in a, a whole range of activities and uh, uh, the different states in our life. But to partake of a heavenly calling uh, is an extraordinarily privileged uh, position to be in. Um, but uh, And uh, the Bible, of course, is uh, 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 very quick to remind us of this, is that uh, even in that state, even as a partaker of such a uh, a high uh, calling as, uh, as this heavenly calling, uh, we remain human. Uh, and uh, indeed, in Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 7, it tells us that uh, uh, that human mind of ours, that carnal mind, it says, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now, that's an interesting uh, little paradox uh, when you think about it, because uh, on the one hand, we are uh, people uh, uh, that are, uh, are participating and partakers in uh, uh, a very high calling, uh, a heavenly calling. And yet, on the other hand, we remain human beings uh, with uh, the uh, frailties and, uh, uh, and deficiencies, if you like, uh, of all that makes uh, uh, us mortal beings. So how do we reconcile the fact that we are human uh, with that shared calling? Now, before we consider this, uh, let's just remind ourselves that um, it's not a bad thing that we're human beings, um, uh, apart from the fact that uh, we might otherwise be a gorilla, but uh, let's put that aside. It's not a bad thing that we're human beings. Uh, uh, first of all, the human state is common to us all, uh, you might remember. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 tells us that, uh, basically tells us that, uh, as they say, we are all in this together. There is no uh, trial that, is, uh, uh, that you go through in your life, but such as is common to man, uh, that verse in Corinthians tells us. We're also told in Psalm 139 and verse 14 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, and indeed, God is worthy of praise uh, because we are so made. Uh, so, and, and as human beings, we're capable of many amazing things. Now, we're also capable of plenty of foolish things, but I'm going to park that for the moment and put that aside uh, and just contemplate uh, that. Now, let's just think about what it means to be a human being. Uh, well, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, and you can turn with me if you wish in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we are introduced into the, the, the God's scheme of creation uh, in this way. Uh, and it says in uh, verse 26 of chapter 1, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And so if you look at that there, there you're immediately uh, presented with a contrast between part of God's creation that uh, brought life uh, to very uh, uh, many uh, different uh, creatures on the one hand 
and man, indeed male and female, woman, uh, created uh, in a particular image. Uh, it's, it, it says in our image or in God's own image, in the image of God, we are told God created us. Uh, and, um, and, and that speaks of something. And, of course, it, uh, uh, it gives a little bit of clarity there when it uh, talks about our likeness and the dominion that would flow uh, from being created in such a way. Now, to be created in God's image does not mean that we obtain all the characteristics of God. Uh, uh, perhaps it uh, goes without saying, but I think it's important to remind ourselves of that. Yes, we are capable of uh, uh, amazing things such as uh, independent, abstract thought, we're not only like other animals and other creatures moved by instinct or ability to deal with uh, only the tangible things in life. Uh, we're able to make moral judgments. We're able to discern from good and evil. Uh, and indeed, uh, interestingly, uh, after the fall in Genesis in uh, verse 22 of chapter 3 of Genesis, it's, uh, it says, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretched out his hand and uh, take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, the door was going to be shut and uh, some would guard it. And, um, and so, uh, having been created in his image, uh, we took upon ourselves, of course, a, 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 a particular knowledge that uh, God was uh, uh, protecting us from or, or reserving uh, uh, in a way separate from us we chose to be part of that and took upon ourselves the consequences of so partaking. And importantly, of course, as human beings, uh, we can receive God's Holy Spirit and thereby open up untold potential. Uh, it tells us in Romans 8 and verse 16 that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So it's not a bad thing to be a human being even if it's not a perfect thing, and even if it is not in itself uh, fully godlike with God's characteristics. Despite all of the goodness and the good things that we can find within our human humanity, uh, the reality is that God is perfect and I am not. Indeed, there are many th uh, things that God is that I am not. And being made in God's image does not mean that we are ourselves God or God's we're merely created in his image or his likeness as a reflection of the original, or more accurately, uh, if you take it from the Hebrew, uh, like a shadow. Uh, thus, as a shadow bears a resemblance to the original, uh, it doesn't uh, carry in itself all of the traits of the body whose form it reveals. Both the Bible and indeed, I, I suspect, uh, our personal experience demonstrates to us as human beings, that we're not in a perfect state. And indeed, the Apostle Paul puts it pretty bluntly uh, when he says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark, uh, uh, missed the target that God has uh, set before us uh, and thereby have sinned and come short of God's glory. Even as we are born again and uh, we obtain this born again experience of God's Holy Spirit, we're not in ourselves as human beings perfect. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 reminds us, 
we have this treasure, this Holy Spirit of God, in an earthen vessel or in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So we receive of God's Holy Spirit as pure and as uh, uh, perfect as that, uh, as the spirit may be, uh, yet we receive it in an earthen vessel, in a body. Uh, and uh, we do so, of course, so that ultimately the excellency uh, of that power uh, is of God and not of ourselves. So is that good enough that we're imperfect human beings walking this spiritual life and partaking of the heavenly calling? Or does God require perfection? Now, we can go right through the Bible and the, the wonderful thing, uh, and there's many wonderful things about the Bible, but one of the things it does, of course, is it exposes to us uh, the stories of individuals. Uh, and we're given many, many, many uh, examples of people who uh, faced the challenge of life, grasped hold of the opportunity to uh, uh, build a, a relationship with God and ultimately gave to us examples and lessons for us. Uh, and indeed, uh, the Bible gives us many examples of people that we might fairly describe, uh, if we were prone to do so, as spiritual giants, people of faith, to whom we are to look up to as we consider the men and women of faith who achieved extraordinary things as they acted uh, with faith uh, in their lives. So turn to me, if you will, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, where we uh, have this wonderful uh, catalogue uh, of men and women of faith. Uh, and uh, as I said, uh, people you might describe as spiritual giants. Now, you'll be pleased to know that I'm not intending to take you through the whole of Hebrews chapter 11 or that catalogue of people that uh, we're given there. Um, but I did want to pick just a few verses towards the end. So having gone through uh, in a little bit of detail and uh, isolating some individuals uh, uh, as the story goes through and looks at uh, the vision and the strength of the faith of these people, it, uh, uh, the writer says, well, look, you know, what more can I say? This is in verse 32, verse 32 of chapter 11 in Hebrews. He says, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought or worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured and not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented. So this is, a, uh, if you like, a bringing uh, together the catalogue and uh, uh, basically the writer is saying it's, it's almost an endless uh, catalogue that uh, uh, he'd be there uh, all day just going through and uh, exposing the detail. And he sums it up uh, in these few verses. And, um, and I thought it's interesting and it's always been of interest to me uh, to uh, focus on verse 32 
and the people who are identified there amongst the list of faithful men, spiritual giants, as I said, that we might, as we might call them. So have a look at them. And uh, again, for, for time, we're not going to go uh, through the detail tonight, but you might like to just go back and read uh, the stories. So in Judges chapter 6, you could read about Gideon. Uh, and you, you could look at uh, uh, a person who, when you look through the story, he seemed somewhat reluctant in his obedience to God's calling uh, and ultimately, of course, of course, led the people to a wonderful victory, uh, a very um, uh, unlikely victory in a natural sense, as they were able to uh, uh, move in such a way uh, uh, in faith that allowed God to intervene on their behalf. And yet, if you have a look at uh, Gideon in himself, he required on more than one occasion uh, con- direct confirmation from God that this is this uh, he was really fair dinkum uh, in this calling uh, before ultimately he was able to uh, grasp it. Uh, and it's uh, of course part of the story that uh, God was willing to give him uh, that confirmation. Uh, but also, it's important for us to recognise that Gideon. Uh, had this um, uh, human reluctance uh, as he responded to God's calling. We could go to Judges chapter 4 and 5 and look at the story of Barak, uh, and uh, there's uh, some quite detail there. And he basically refused to go uh, and do what God had called him to do uh, unless uh, Deborah the prophetess uh, came with him, uh, and he uh, is listed uh, amongst the men of faith. In Judges chapter 14 and 16, we had the, uh, the story of um, uh, uh, Samson, uh, sorry, Judges 14 to 16. Uh, now, uh, I think the best way to describe Samson, he's a, a flawed Nazarite who from birth was set aside, uh, uh, dedicated to God, uh, and yet uh, in his life he was, uh, uh, well, he allowed himself to be drawn into the world in many different ways. Uh, he was corrupted uh, uh, in the most notable uh, event in his story by Delilah before ultimately he was able to see the error of his ways and call upon God's assistance uh, even as the uh, uh, the uh, roof of the temple uh, fell on him. Uh, but he was, a, he was a flawed individual in many ways. He was a human being but a person of faith. Jephthah is the other person who's named, uh, and his story in Judges chapter 11 and 12, um, I tend to describe Jephthah as the classic uncut diamond um, uh, because uh, uh, he uh, lived a very interesting life and uh, uh, somewhat outcast, um, uh, clearly a leader amongst his people um, uh, who had been rejected by uh, the people as a whole. Ultimately, uh, they knocked on his door for his help uh, he um, uh, reacted in his uh, particular way, as you'll see in the detail of the story. And uh, he was able through faith to deliver the victory for the people. But he also made this rash oath, uh, as it's recorded there, uh, in, in a most curious uh, element of the story. Uh, and uh, one which just again reminds us that this was no perfect human being here. This is no perfect specimen here, but this was a man of faith. Uh, and um, now it also mentions in that verse in Hebrews, mentions David and uh, does so in a very summary way. Uh, but we all know, of course, uh, David to be that uh, uh, man of righteousness, that faithful person, that blessed person. 
Uh, and uh, in Second Samuel chapter 11, uh, however, uh, he also, uh, well, he was guilty of adultery, of deceit and murder uh, uh, in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah. Uh, and indeed, at the time, as it says there, when kings go forth to battle, uh, David's tarried still in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, so this was not a perfect uh, person by any means. And indeed, for the rest of his life and within his family in many different ways, uh, uh, David paid the price uh, for his own failings. Uh, and despite his righteousness, despite his faithfulness, uh, and despite, of course, the fact that God had established a covenant through David, uh, uh, the reality was he was a human being uh, called and uh, involved in it. And then finally, uh, Jacob is mentioned, uh, who even by name is uh, uh, a trickster and uh, a person of deceit. Uh, and in the two most notable uh, events where that uh, uh, is exposed, he, he uh, in Genesis chapter 25, took the birthright of his uh, uh, older brother, trading a meal uh, for the birthright, uh, obviously placing a greater value upon it than his brother did, uh, but in a, a way that was a little bit underhanded, but nevertheless uh, uh, one which secured for him what, what he sought. And, and then uh, perhaps in the uh, even more uh, 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 stark example in Genesis 27, he conspired with his mother uh, to deceive his elderly and blind father uh, to take the blessing that would otherwise have gone to the eldest son in Esau. Um, now, this was a man of faith, but not a perfect person in that context. So in uh, Hebrews 11, verse 21, we're told that by faith, Jacob, when he was, uh, a di when he, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and uh, worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. So he was a, a person of faith, uh, identified as such, and yet uh, not perfect. So you might fairly, fairly ask when you uh, break into the details surrounding these lives, you might ask, well, why are they listed among the spiritual giants of Hebrews chapter 11? Surely they are no more than flawed heroes who in various ways expose their human failings, often with dire consequences for themselves and others around them. Now, the truth is, uh, when you uh, understand the stories correctly, is that they are rightly included in the list in Hebrews chapter 11. Not as some mythical spiritual giant that is in some way to be worshipped and revered, because that's not the lesson of the Bible, yet alone that of Hebrews 11 itself, but rather they should be included there as hu human beings who through their flaws and with faith were able to achieve the catalogue of victories that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. They are examples to us uh, of the strength of faith, even in the face of flawed humanity, because that is what the story is all about. Uh, we're not called to be perfect human beings in this age. And indeed, uh, uh, if you know what an oxymoron is, um, it, it sounds as bad as it is, but uh, uh, it's, it's a contradiction in terms to put the word perfect to describe a human being. Uh, it, it just uh, doesn't make any sense. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. So in Romans chapter 7 and in verse 14, we read this. For we know that the law, speaking here of the Old Testament law, is spiritual, but I am carnal and I am sold under sin. For that which I do, 
I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the Lord that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, in a wonderful uh, bit of lyrical verse here, uh, he basically captures the dilemma that faces us all. Because at times in our life we find that the things that uh, uh, we do are not the things that we actually allow ourselves to do, but we do them anyway. And indeed, for the things that we would do, we actually don't do them. Uh, and, and, and the things that we hate, they're the things that we do. And the reality is that happens in our life. Uh, and he explains that by reference to what is within. Uh, and, of course, he does it also in the context of his lesson about how that links to the Old Testament law and the difference that there is in the New Testament uh, with the freedom that uh, uh, is provided uh, by Jesus Christ through his spirit. But then it goes on. It says in verse 17, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in my natural human being, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, that is to want to do things, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so he defines in verse 21, having gone through that story, he finds a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my, in my members. O wretched man, he says, that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of his death? of this death. And then he tells us who it will be in the next verse. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, that's what's going to deliver him. That's what, what's going to give him that release. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sins. So you could say that as natural human beings, we're hopeless, but with hope. That hope is what we have through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, and of course you should read uh, directly on from chapter 7 to chapter 8 because it, it, it really hits us with the great promise because uh, you read uh, the parts of chapter 7, you say, well, gee, how am I going to deal with that? Uh, how am I going to deal with my uh, flawed uh, human state? Uh, and uh, uh, because of the deliverance that we get from Jesus Christ, as he says in the end of the uh, chapter 7, in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation or judgment to them that which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And that's a very privileged state to be in. That's uh, one of the benefits of being a partaker of the heavenly calling. And that is the promise that we have been given and that we have entered into. In verse 20 of chapter 8, it says, for the creature or the natural creation was made subject to vanity, 
not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Uh, the way I always uh, look at this verse is it says, well, look, natural beings, uh, you know, they, they've got this inherent limitation that makes them subject to uh, a vain outcome or subject to vanity. But it's not their fault, right? They didn't work it out themselves. They didn't do it willingly. Uh, they didn't devise it, but rather it is the one uh, who, uh, it's by the reason of God who has subjected us also in hope. And indeed, uh, you get that a bit as you um, uh, as you read it from uh, other translations. In, uh, it's, in one translation, it says, for the cre- creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. And in the Amplified, it tells us for the creation was subjected uh, to frailty, to futility and condemned to frustration, not because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who has who so subjected it, yet with the hope. So no condemnation and a strong hope that leads to the deliverance or is part of the deliverance that is being given to us by being partakers of the heavenly calling. A couple of other verses, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, if you don't mind. So in Hebrews 12 and reading in verse 12, uh, it says, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, right? If, you, if you're just feeling a bit downcast about it all and you're not able to uh, sort of get up and, and, and do what needs to be done. Uh, and uh, uh, it says, well, lift up yourself, lift up your hands, uh, and lift up the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fall or fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And so what it's, uh, it's reminding us here is that we have an opportunity to not be um, weighed down by the um, uh, deficiencies or frustrations of this life, uh, but rather we're able to be uh, upheld uh, by a God who has given us uh, hope uh, and is able to uh, uh, give to us uh, the opportunity to live in a way <clears throat> that brings peace to all men rather than trouble. Let's uh, bring it to a close, uh, a little shorter than what I'd intended. So let's go to uh, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. It says here, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So he's saying here that um, uh, as you approach uh, the the, the vain lives of others, uh, then do so in a way that doesn't focus upon uh, evil, uh, not uh, arguing or being brawlers, but rather uh, showing a meekness to them because you should recognise that you yourselves at times 
had displayed some foolishness or disobedience, etc., uh, even as he uh, describes it there in verse 3. But after that, the kindness and love of God, uh, uh, our Saviour, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You are where you are because it's a great privileged state to be in. We are part of this heavenly uh, calling, uh, not through works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to God's mercy has he saved us by cleansing us, a regeneration, a washing of regeneration, by giving us a renewal uh, of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that you affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So we are in a privileged state, folks, and um, uh, we are uh, are entitled to count ourselves amongst the spiritual giants of this world, and not because of some uh, righteousness that uh, uh, we excel in by our own works, but rather through uh, that wonderful, merciful act uh, of uh, uh, Jesus' sacrifice that made the possible uh, renewing of the Holy Ghost to be real uh, in our lives. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and reading from verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Right? We have a vocation. Right? It's not defined by our own skills. It's not defined by our own uh, self-defined image. Uh, not uh, defined by our self-defined vision uh, that uh, we ourselves identify as our calling but rather a vocation wherewith we are called. Uh, And we are called, of course, to be part of God's uh, kingdom and his people. We're to approach that with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And as I'm always uh, quick to uh, point out, when it says in verse 3 that we endeavour to keep unity, it means you've got to work at it. You've got to work hard to keep the unity of the spirit because the easiest thing in life is to find points of division. It requires work to keep us together in the bond of peace. And down in verse 23, it says this. It says, and be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be you angry, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labour, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Let's always appreciate the privileged state that we're in. Let's rejoice that faith is strong, even in the face of uh, uh, human uh, uh, failings. And let's know that uh, we have every right uh, to look forward to the hope that uh, is set before us. And as we go about that and as we pursue that vision, let's live with each other in a way as defined for us here in Ephesians chapter 4, because in that way we will keep the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace uh, and uh, we won't uh, fuel those things that might otherwise divide us. Let's rejoice in that because it's a great statement.